0: From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at
1: interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously
0: dependable.
2: Well, Welcome to the Land of Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith.
1: And Matt Dye.
2: And we've got a very special guest with us this morning, the first to kick off the podcast. Matt's going to give you an introduction.
1: So this has been a whirlwind of a fall for me and my family. Um, So the special guest is actually my brother, Ashton, who lives in Virginia and is a diehard hunter. And um, him and I grew up hunting together and spent so much time in the woods and just learned how to hunt together and of course that means so much to me and um this fall has been just like i said a a whirlwind for our family um late in november my brother uh 31 suffered from a stroke um just after thanksgiving and has been um, recuperating recovering but just from that um health issue it's been just kind of a A crazy fall of of trying to figure some things out and and do further testing and whatnot. But anyhow, with all that being said, he recently had an incredible hunt. Um, Really just a couple days ago as season was winding down in Virginia. And he is here to tell a story, um, give us the scoop on the hunt because he experienced some things during that hunt. That really was kind of atypical, I guess, for that time of the year, but still proved to be extremely effective. And Ashton, how are you doing this morning?
0: Hey guys, how's it going? I'm doing well. Um, nice to <clears throat> to be uh, on the show with you guys this, mo- in the morning, this morning.
1: Yeah, well we uh, are certainly excited to hear about the hunt, so why don't you just kind of break down the hunt some and give us a little scoop on what happened when you when you finally went to the woods and i'll, I'll remind everyone that you know this is a day after you kind of got cleared to drive after the stroke you know you had a 30-day period where you weren't supposed to drive just take it easy do very minimal yep, activity yep. so that was kind of a bummer that hit right in the middle of the season so that time was limited for you to be able to get out in the woods and then as soon as you got cleared you went to the woods and and something spectacular happened what was that
0: yeah, man, it was it was a uh, just a, a, an awesome day. Um, we've had below average uh, t- temperatures here in Virginia the last end of the uh, end of the season this year. Um, so you know, we're bum- bundled up uh, more so than nor- normal, um, but got my my spot um, to go and hunt. I'm almost sitting on a a rye field, um, and there's some set out pines. We've got you know hide wins, um just waiting for a doe to pop out uh you know as we're getting getting ready to end the light and put some meat meat on the on the table for the rest of the year um and sitting there and you know, I've, i'm set up not really expecting anything yet it's still early in the afternoon and i hear the the rustle of leaves coming i'm like all right something this is early like this is this is a good sign and wouldn't you know it out pops a little fawn and you know, you, you see those little things, and you just get a little discouraged, like, man, it's just a fawn. Um, but as I'm sitting there looking at it, here, here's some more rustles, and see some some brow coming through the trees, and here comes another deer, and then I see some antlers. I'm like, oh, man, it's a buck. All right, here we go. Um, kind of eased around, got ready, um, and here comes another deer, and it's got horns, and another deer with, with more horns and you know I've got the scope up now I'm looking through you know figuring out which one's mature deer um, pick out a nice mature, mature buck which is happens to be right behind that doe and it's got its nose to the ground and so do the other uh, eight pointer and a six pointer I've all got their nose down to the ground uh, following after the following after this little fawn and she trots on off and he pops out of this um, uh multi multi floor rose bush that pops out and stops, I grunt and he stops right in front of me and get the crosshairs centered on him and squeeze the trigger and down he goes. He takes off into this native uh, vegetation and and I watch him I die watch him die and he's got you know that fawn and the other two little bucks are kind of confused as to what's what just happened. You know their their hot date just kind of uh um get d- deserted them. So um, being just a truly special hunt, um, I was able to to share it with my father-in-law, who's been um, who's helping us out a lot. It's been a a rough with the sh- with the stroke. He's been able to get me out a couple of days uh, to be able to get. To be able to get out and uh, hunt take me out um, so it's been awesome I and mean, just awesome to be able to um, partake in that and even having everything that's happened uh to to me and my family with the with the strokes it's just been an awesome awesome hunt it means you know so much just uh a, than, a, than a hunt you know what i mean
1: yeah you know I think it's so often taken for granted the time to be outdoors and and experience just what God's created and for you to you partake in that. And, you know, you get in the grind of Oh, I wanna kill a buck, I wanna kill a buck and then, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, for you in your circumstance, it was kinda taken away for, you know, temporarily and, you know, as die hard of a hunter as you are, you wanna get out, you wanna experience that. Um and then when you finally do to have it all come together, you know, you and I were talking soon after it happened, Ashton, and this was much more than just, you know, you harvesting a great deer and I, I you you're you're very um humble, but this is probably a hundred and forty inch um mainframe nine pointer. Just a great, great buck and a late season buck too. This was I think two days ago, so January fifth and that's two days for the um End of deer season there in Virginia, so I mean this is high mm-hmm. pressured area. Yep. You know this was a a heck of a deal for it to come together. There's three bucks are chasing a doe fawn out. um it, It's just it's incredible to have it all come together for you, and you know you were oh the t- whole
0: the whole thing the circumstances are just unbelievable right. uh, with everything happening. I would have had. I mean this is a is. This- Deer I've never seen before. We've been uh, on a large farm, and I've got tra- tra- trail cameras running uh, almost year-round, and never seen this buck uh, a day in my life before.
1: Right, and and our
0: and there's this, this and like is... like you said, there's go ahead. Uh, you said there's a, a ton of uh, a hunting pressure, so there's a couple of the neighboring properties they. Um, in, in Virginia, you're allowed to, to dog hunt, and a couple of the neighboring Pop properties they they run dogs pretty much from the start of gun season. So for a month or more, they're they're out there and beating the trees down, trying to find de- jump up jumping up deer. So this, mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that having not not seeing this deer and all the circumstances to everything to happened the way that it did, it's just uh, amazing.
1: For sure, and and it was the the day prior of this this hunt that you and and Jess, your wife, were driving down to the hospital to to get checked out, and and um, you guys put on a podcast, and it's just kind of ironic, and it kind of hit me as just you know that further um, powerful nature of, of hunting and everything, and just the mindset. You know, you guys listened to one, you it was um the what gets you outdoors hunt. And you were talking about the, yeah. the story yep. that Adam shared um, of his personal reflection and what hunting allowed for him in, in a tough time for him. Um, and then for you the next day to just go back and experience something so powerful that, you know, wouldn't have been possible without having hunting in your life and, and being able to enjoy the great outdoors.
0: Oh, no, not at all. I, absolutely. Just the whole, I mean, everything that we were sitting and listen to the podcast and talking about how amazing the, the world that we live is and the and how that everything is put together perfectly for us and uh in in this world by, by our creator and everything and it's just it's just amazing with everything i mean this has hunt this hunt has meant so much than just you know killing a deer it's uh recovery and, you know, being kind of being back to normal. Um, it's still, still a long road. I still, my speech is still impacted. Um I'm not very fluent as I'm speaking, as I'm sure you can hear. Um, but it's been a, it's been a long way. I mean, when I had, uh, when I had my stroke, the whole right side of my body was, I couldn't move my arms or legs, fingers or nothing for, for, uh, um, for a few hours is I, I had the stroke so just the the recover co- road to recovery has been um but long it's been uh, pretty remarkable um what God has uh has given us
1: yeah absolutely and and you know I I know that there's other people out there um that whether it's go through health issues or just personal issues whatever it may be but it, again, is the time outdoors that can really help you through that healing process. And that's why we shared oh, that podcast, What Gets You Outdoors. And that's why I wanted you to come on and share your story because there's so many people. It's so relatable. And um, my hope, and I know your hope is too, that you know it, it hopefully brightens someone's day, gives them – you know, the outlet to say, you know, I'm going to take up hunting or, or I'm going to get, you know, that maybe they're thinking of a person out there who's going through a tough time said, I need to get them outdoors. I need to get them. Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that's been, like I said, my, my father-in-law and, and my dad too, um, were able to, to take me out a couple of times. I mean, uh, that after I had my strokes, it was just nice to be outdoors out of the house, um, Walking around seeing everything that that's that's out there um all the you know all the creatures and plants and uh that we to get to encounter go out the long along the way that is that's beautiful to be outdoors and and seeing everything, so I hope that you know other people that are um as they're going to experience some of the same the things that I did as I had my stroke that that they've got somebody that they can um that they can um really relate to and um take them outdoors um let them ha- share those experiences or um if you've got somebody that's had those circumstances that they're getting them out in the door at the, the door well outdoors to uh um taking them hunting going fishing whatever whatever it is just that i mean it's it's more than hunting it's more it's that camaraderie um sharing those experiences together um is just it's thats i think is one of the things that i've always loved about hunting um hunting with you as a kid and with our with our dad and family that's always always one of the best part about hunting um you know sure. that was always and 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 still is you know you send a text like hey did you have any how How's your hunt go today? Did you have any luck um just continuing to 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 share those experiences together
1: hmm yeah it's just an incredible thing and and we can talk about it for for hours and, and share so many different stories and and I think everyone again it's just so relatable everyone can can partake in it and everyone can relate to um you know the experiences outdoors and, and that's what I love about it. It's endless.
0: Absolutely. Yep, and it doesn't matter. You're a bird watcher or a hunter, fisherman. Where where are you are where you are across the world? Those those experiences and the things that you see are it's it's beautiful. The world is a beautiful place.
2: Absolutely. This is Adam here, Ashton, and I got to say, you know, Matt and I were in the tree stand. I couldn't be happier when he showed me the text that said I just shot a good one, but I I just got on a lighter side. I'm going to say some, I'm going to ask a question. You know, is it just coincidence that little brother gets out of your hair and you start killing good deer, or is there really something to that? I,
0: I don't know. I I don't know. I mean, he's he's a pretty good hunter in his own right, but I, I think it's definitely a little bit more peaceful now. Ah. There's, there's a little less little less competition now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just, I just let you take all my good spots. That's what I did
0: yeah sure (laughs) i remember where you were sending me but i remember where you were sending me last last year when we were hunting together
1: Uh uh-huh yeah yeah no no you uh you know what you're doing when you get out in the woods that's for sure and and you've got the history to be able to prove that and this is just another prime example of of putting yourself in the right place the right time but well thank you appreciate it absolutely we appreciate you coming on ashton and sharing the story and um you know thank you and we'll uh we'll, we'll uh talk with you later on
0: all right fellas thank you appreciate it thanks for having me on today
1: you bet we'll see ya
0: all right talk to you later guys
1: wasn't that an incredible story
2: for sure for sure you know we've been of course <laughs> you have for sure and i and i have but following along in his progress and of course i remember the day you called me and i was like what your, your brother had a stroke? What? He's like, well, he's my age. And so it was a little bit like almost setting you back on your heels. Um, and, of course, there's always times like that in your life where something happens that you're not expecting, and it's kind of like, whoa, life is more precious than than I guess I was acting. And, and where I'm at in my life, the hustle and the bustle, it's – it's a time where you go, Whoa, okay. I need to I need to cherish my time here a little a little bit more than what I'm doing right now.
1: That's for sure. There's all there's so many instances in life that it, it can just set you back on your heels and that was I didn't even go through it and I was whoa I was upset that day, obviously for the next couple of days as as we were learning more about things and recovery and and um just that that time period of of being on the phone so much with family but still being 16 hours away can't do anything um obviously he he's a huge part of my life and um just you never know what the next day is going to bring that's for sure um this is this story is an example of that with the stroke then with the hunt um but it's just been awesome to be able to see him and his recovery his momentum at you know each day as he's improving his um his mindset as he's he's got two young boys um and, and just seeing him continue to be the father that he is to them um and the husband to his wife through all this you know it's just been it's been incredible and I'm so thankful that he was able to continue to hunt um and absolutely whack a good one I mean that's a great buck Virginia isn't known for for great deer you said 140 i
2: honestly in the pictures I thought he was over 150
1: Nah, I don't think he'll go that. Just because his tines and his beans. But- he's a good deer. Yeah, I and mean, he made a absolutely killer shot. And again, he he was very humble in the story. But it doesn't happen that often that you can pull off um, shooting a deer thirty yards away off the ground and having four sets of eyeballs at you and all under thirty yards. Yeah, he he did it and and absolutely crushed this deer. Um, but it just again. Uh, further, um, proof that there's, there's therapy, there's healing, I think outdoors and in creation. Um, so just wanted to share that with everyone so that they can, uh, hopefully have that perspective and, and do someone a favor. If they're out, you know, struggling with something, get them outdoors. It will help for sure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that pretty well wraps up the first segment of the podcast, now we're going to go from from the deep powerful talk of of the magic of the outdoors to setting up a farm, property yeah. property architecture. Let's do it. Let's um, do it. <clears throat> so, as you guys know by now, we're we're consultants, land consultants, and we travel the country setting up properties for people, covering all kinds of topics. But one of the things that and I mean, there's a lot of consultants out there, but one of the things that we often, I guess, think of being our little niche is the is the thought of habitat and how to improve it to get it to its natural state um, to where it's the most efficient, where you can hold more animals, more species of animals, and and overall have more production on your land. And by doing that, we believe that it not only is going to increase the amount of deer, but a product of this native habitat restoration stuff is the product of big deer, if that's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it may just be you want more deer, you want more quail, and you want more turkeys. That's also a product of it. Um, so we we do that a lot. Um, almost seems like almost every week of the year. But uh, this week, we were traveling in kind of a... Northern Missouri area. Uh, I don't want to give away too many details here because you may go and try and get access to that. After they
1: hear this this property
2: rundown, they're going to get excited and try to figure this one out. Yeah, and so this is uh, it's a a little bit smaller farm. It ends up being um, in between two to three hundred acres, but the piece that's actually so there's a piece that's owned by the landowner and then a piece right next to it that's leased. There's more leased ground than there is owned own ground but the own ground is kind of centrally located in this little chunk of land Um, and it's a chicken farm that's what the income uh, produced with this land is from the chicken business
1: and and in this area chicken farming is huge and it's not like there's just chicken running all across this this property or anything like that there's chicken houses there's chicken barns uh, on this place in a very like you said centrally located position throughout this property um which may seem as a negative however we're going to talk about how to make that a positive later on but without a doubt that is a huge portion of this property um and one that has a big impact on it
2: absolutely and when to me I always look at it as that if managed correctly multi-use properties can be way more positive than it can be negative, for sure. Um, and when you look at cattle farms, way more positive than the negative. It's actually we're trying to replicate nature, but if managed correctly, is actually really, really beneficial not only for income producing, but the way you can hunt your farm and use that disturbance as a way to access the property. Mm-hmm. And so we'll talk about that in the in in the few minutes coming up when we when we get into the access. But first off, as I mentioned, it's half owned by the landowner, our client, and it's half leased. So keeping that in mind, if that's what you're going through, whenever you're prioritizing the projects to do, the habitat restoration projects, the food plots, whatever it is, we always try to focus our, when we're prioritizing, focusing our efforts first on the own land and then moving to the leased land because You never know what can happen. Even though you may have signed a a long-term lease,
1: something could happen where all your work may go down the drain. For sure. And these guys have a great relationship with the person that they're leasing. They've got cattle on this leased ground. They have permission to hunt it. They've been doing it for years. Great relationship. But you just never know. That landowner could get sick, could get ill. Um, have heirs to it that just want to sell it and move on you just never know so prioritizing and getting the most bang for your buck when it comes to you doing the work is doing it on your own ground and that's kind of um, you know a un- unique dynamic as we talked with them as we walked with them throughout the property you know hey this is a great feature from this lease ground and and in time with the permission of the landowner i would I would definitely manage it and remove this add this whatever but for now let's focus on your place let's get that done first and then move on yep and so
2: this is uh kind of an interesting area uh there's a a creek that runs through it on the eastern side that's basically the border um and across that is a large tillable ground Um, three
1: four five hundred
2: acres monstrous big big field you look west and it's mostly cattle pasture fescue clover pastures south is pretty much the same thing so it's kind of on the brink too because the tillable ground is very flat as you would guess it's all bottom ground bottom ground very fertile and then you go up these almost river breaks but it's a smaller creek probably 100 150 elevation change um, to their property to where it's mostly timber um, a majority of it is timber, whether that's cedar, the, uh, huge oaks, bur oaks, white oaks, just mixed closed canopy timber. That was the key keyword. I would say canopy.
1: Seventy-five to eighty percent. Yes, of the properties, closed canopy forest.
2: In the open ground majority on the at least on the own ground is is uh, right now it's probably twenty to thirty acres of a majority being hay. So right now it's fescue, orchard, orchard grass, grass, with clover mixed in. Um, and then there's probably one, uh, one, two, three, there's probably about four acres, three to four acres that's devoted to food plots.
1: And it's important to consider those hay fields, because in addition to having the chickens, they have horses. The landowners have horses, not on this property and sheep. So they need to have production. They need to have feed off this property for those livestock, for those animals. So we have to have that, that factor played into how we lay out this farm. And okay, are there any other options that we can use that ground for, but still achieve the goal of feeding the livestock? And we'll, we'll dive into that. But so there's a lot of things happening and a lot of different dynamics to consider. And that's one of the first things we do when we get to the property is tell us about the property. Tell us about this feature, this feature, this feature. What what else do we need to know? What, what are the consider? goals? What are the goals? And what is for, the hunting pressure like?
2: Yeah. And so when we say, what are the goals? Of course, the, the goals for this property is it's a hunting property, but it's also multi-use. So the western half is devoted to cows. Um, and they've kind of rearranged some of their grazing paddocks to where they can hunt certain ones during the time of the year. But um, for the for the most part, the goals of this property is to kill big deer, mm-hmm. and to also
1: continue getting production for the livestock. And they have a big family. There's quite a few hunters that hunt this piece, and come rifle season there's a lot of hunters in the woods so we have to also consider that and say okay we've got let's say x amount of stands well really in all reality if we want to continue to put less pressure on this farm as it's being developed we need to increase that x number of stands we need to double it easy yeah so we need I, I think to at have one
2: point they said they had eight eight people or eight parties hunting yeah that's it that's and two to three hundred acres that's a that's, that's a, a, lot a lot of hunting, hunters. and that may only be one or two days out of gun season.
1: Yeah, w- that's not an everyday
2: gun season deal, but it's still happening. Exactly. So we need to figure out how we can increase the amount of stands and the amount of locations to hunt um, so they can have profit or be productive on both hunting and
1: their livestock. They're farming of it. So, when it comes to increasing stands, that also means increasing the number of access points on this place. Yeah. And we said, that, you know, the chicken barns are right here in the center of this property, but they also have a lot of um, property boundary um, just the way it's, it's laid out. So, they have different access points with the cattle, with a driveway. Um, and one portion that they have is this big creek. And this is a floatable creek. And this is, what would you say, probably. Now, 20 yards wide. 20 to 30 yards wide, depending a on the location. Deep. It, it, you know, when kind we were there, depends. it was frozen.
2: <laughs> it was frozen. Um, it was so I didn't really want to think about how deep it was, but it definitely looked like the possibility of being a, a pretty deep creek. Uh, and when I say pretty deep, you wouldn't want to wade it. I'll say no. that. No, 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 no. no. Um, no there's a couple places, riffles, that you could probably wade, but for the most part, you can float it in a kayak, canoe, flat-bottom john boat, whatever you want. So... Um, that, that is definitely
1: going to play into the access of the property. Let's dive right into, into that access and real quickly kind of describe how prior to us arriving access was used by these hunters. Uh, and I'll say when we're
2: talking about access, that's like one thing that w- earlier when I was talking about how we kind of lay out properties and trying to get back to native habitat and being more productive habitat, um, Access is also one of the huge things that we often talk about because rarely do we get to a property where the access is laid out where it's the minimal disturbance happening during hunting season. It's almost like sometimes I think that's that's one of the biggest things on a property, and oftentimes it's like
1: very overlooked. It's like the very minor scale of, of looking at how you can improve it. People know when we get there, we're going to talk about Habitat. But the second most important thing that we talk about is access and hunter. Basically, what is this hunter management? How how are they hunting this property right now? And how has that influenced or impacted what they see, what they do? And how can we change that to enhance, okay, the property features that we're going to lay out and make sure it hunts better than what it has been? And even, I mean, even if you have the best food plots in the area.
2: Yeah. If you're driving across the field to get to it or or driving right next to the bedding areas to get to it, it's really not doing you any
1: good. No, it it's you're doing more harm than good. And we we really have to consider that. The goal again, the goal of of this property is to shoot mature deer. You can't be making mistakes like that on a yearly basis and putting pressure where you shouldn't have pressure and And see results that you want to see, we've got to consider access and and before access, we do really anything
2: and access whether you you're hunting a farm or you drive your truck to two hundred yards from the from the stand and then you walk the remainder or you're walking a a mile in or in small of detail of. How are you hunting this food plot? Are you hunting the edge or are you having to walk 100 yards down the edge of the food plot to climb in a tree stand and then on your way out you're walking the edge of the food plot? It's all access that needs to change. And especially, that's one of the things that we see a lot with food plot hunting is walking across a food plot to get to a stand. Ugh, that's like, gets me. Face palm to me. Yep. Like, we're hunting a destination field to where... And this is where we start really splitting hairs of what's a destination field, what's a kill plot, what's a transition plot, whatever you want to call them, um, is if you're hunting a food plot, and a lot of times food plots are destination fields um, given depending on the habitat or the area, but if you're hunting a food plot where deer are coming to stand and eat until dark and after dark, then you're basically hunting a destination field. And mm-hmm. if you're set up on it and you're... Leaving that plot when it gets dark is you walking across the side of the plot and blowing the blowing the deer out or howling like a coyote.
1: You need to change your access. Don't don't do that yeah. this coming year. Here's, here's your here's your uh your message. If you did that this year, don't do that next year. You've no. gotta find a new way to do it because You know, you know, there's so much the the research, the articles, the the hunting articles out there about, you know, the first time to hunt um, a stand is often your best time. Why is that? Well, it's honestly probably because we hunt it wrong. Yeah. We put too much pressure in those areas because we're not accessing it correctly. There's many places that that we hunt and we want to find those places that when I go back a second, third, fourth time, the deer are still acting the same way they did the first time I hunted it. That's because I'm hunting deer most oftentimes in transition. So they're not there when I get there. And when I leave, they're not there. They're transitioning through to get to from point A to point B. That's what I love to see. And that's how you want to set up a property and design features of property that concentrate deer during the daytime, aka a bedding area. And in the evening time or early morning, a food plot. Feeding locations. You want those deer concentrated. So basically, instead of having deer possibly everywhere in 50 acres, you just don't know, I want to have better habitat concentrated in two to three, four acre areas, bedding areas, creating that and knowing that they're there and I can slip around the backside without spooking deer. Yep. You
2: want to think about, here's here's your little, I guess, connection or story to to give you something to relate to. You remember Home Improvement? You remember what the Heidi ho neighbor? Um, Wilson, you want to hunt your property like Wilson. Yes. You want to have your nose stuck over the fence, watching all the activity going on in the neighbor's yard, and not disturbing them. So basically, you want to hunt a property where you see what's going on, and you're close enough to... Get involved if you want to. That's a bad analogy, but get involved as in shoot a deer if you want to or it's the hitless buck you're after. But if you don't want to shoot anything, you can get out of there and nobody even knows you're there. That's mm-hmm. the way you want to lay out a property and access the property. So if you have to go in and bump deer getting to your stand and think, okay, well, that's just a few does, it's fine.
1: No, we we need to change what's going on. So basically, on this property, we were saying okay, seventy-five, eighty, eighty-five percent of this property was timber, and these these folks, these these guys who were hunting this property, hunted their food plots or or these these pasture fields. We'll we're, we're call them hay fields, I guess, um, or hunted these hay fields, and they had their stands oriented around those. Let's just say, ten percent of their property, fifteen percent of their property. To be fair, we'll go with fifteen percent of their property. Mm-hmm. and they were fearful to enter the woods they were fearful fearful to go in there because at this time prior to us getting there and prior to them doing work a deer could be bedded
2: anywhere in there there was no real difference between the eastern half of the timber the northern half of the timber no. 50 yards in from the food plot there's it's all
1: pretty much the same closed so, canopy forest i really respected the fact that they didn't want to go and bump deer that's great that's you know that's wonderful but at the same time, you're it's, only hunting 10%, 15% of your property and putting so much pressure on those areas that a deer can do whatever he wants and hardly ever get seen um, if he just stays in the temper during, during the daylight. Yep. And, and, well,
2: that and not moving during daylight much. And right. Going, okay, when I do make it to those food
1: plots, it's way after dark. Way after dark. Yeah, because so, I know exactly what they're doing, and they've done it year after year. The deer have patterned them as much as they're trying to pattern them. For sure, the for sure. And that, that happens. That is an absolute real thing. So what we need to do is say, okay, instead of a deer wanting to, having the ability to bed wherever they want in this timber, I'm going to create various areas, bedding areas throughout all this timber in the right locations – improve the habitat so not only do they have security but then they have the right appropriate cover that they're going to prefer over the open timber they're going to prefer these areas and now i know where the deer are going to bed now i can get to a stand in the timber that's situated between a bedding area and a feeding area or that's situated between two bedding areas i can get there now because instead of a deer being everywhere in the timber now Probability tells me that they're going to be in those preferred areas. Now you can start hunting a property. Or
2: close to those preferred areas. Right. Maybe it's just on the edge, but they're definitely going to be congregated. Close
1: proximity to those bedding areas.
2: And if we lay it out correctly, there should be those little bedding areas throughout the timber in Mm -hmm. various places. So if there's a deer that's been seen in this food plot right at dark on a camera then that tells us, oh, and he's coming from that direction. There's a, I, I know it in my heart that he's bedding next to that bedding area that we've laid out.
1: And I don't want that bedding area so close to that feeding area that I can't get in between. You've got to have, not only do you have to improve those areas so well that the cover is there and the security is there, but you have to give yourself enough space to be able to access it and get in between and get back out cleanly if you if you have these great property features and these great ideas to improve your property and you start going in you're doing the work excellent good for you I, I you know that's that's awesome for for having that initiative, but make sure you plan out ahead of time that you can access these certain areas and like you talked about earlier there's a there's some terrain features to this property. You know, with this, um, basically it's a bluff that overlooks that big yep. bottom ground and certain rolling hills and ridges and stuff. We're going to use that to our advantage. East, north-facing slopes, south-facing slopes, we're going to be doing different cuts and and b- creating bedding areas on these different slopes. So, okay, this time of year, they're going to probably be here or they're going to probably be here. And, and for example, when you say this
2: time of year, so people are trying to understand or during the early season, when it's still warm, they're either going to be bedded close to the river where it's cooler or mm-hmm. they're going to be bedded on north slopes. Yeah. And and then whenever the temperatures drop, they're probably going to be bedded on western slopes or southern slopes. Yes. So we yes. can lay out these little bedding areas on those um, different slopes so we know, okay, that's the preferred bedding during the early season. He's in the food plot right at dark. He's probably bedded here.
1: Now I need to get to my stand that's in between the two. And and because of the terrain features that are present, if we place these bedding areas in certain locations, we can, not to a necessary T, but for a really good idea of how one deer is going to get from one bedding area to the next bedding area, or from a bedding area to a food plot. And we're going to be able to get in between on that ridge top or on that saddle that these deer are going to be able to use.
2: Here's the... I guess, when you think about it, and and this is just a conversation we have with the landowner. When we lay it out and we put in a bedding area, so in a simple scale, we put in a bedroom. Now we have a big food plot. That's basically our kitchen. That's where they're going to go feed. So there's a hallway that connects the two. But his question was, well, what if there's 10 hallways? Well, right now there is 10 hallways because we don't know where they're bedding. So because they're there's bedrooms everywhere. all
1: over the place. Yes. There's, it's it's basically one huge bedroom. There's There's few kitchens, but bedrooms all over the place.
2: So now if we increase the amount of bedrooms or bedding areas, and we put those one on the east side of the food plot 200 yards away, and we use the terrain, and we use some features of falling trees next to bluffs or... Whatever it may be, we can now stick the deer to where they're really coming into that food plot on one trail or two trails, but they're close together. And we used edge feathering on the edge of the food plot to improve the production of the food plot, but also steer deer closer to your stand. Now we've got it to where there's one hallway and we know what hallway they're walking into the
1: bed or the kitchen from the bedroom. And that's what we're trying to do. That's property architecture and using terrain features, increasing the habitat to improve hunting that's what it's all about right there yep and Imp- improving
2: the habitat so there's more holding capacity capacity and there's better
1: production out of the deer there's bigger antlers healthier mm-hmm. deer for sure so let's let's really quick talk we talked about the bedding we talked kind of solved that that issue for for this property you know yeah. and there's also some some really large cedar thickets that are going to be going to get cut there's some on the lease property but we're not going to focus on those the priority are the ones that are on this property and then from there we can continue on to the lease but however let's real quick talk about access and the fact that uh, we've got chicken barns that have daily activity right here in the center of the property these chicken barns they're they're collecting eggs or checking on chickens
2: basically multiple times a day but a majority it's early in the morning and in the afternoon evening hour so, that's hunting time. And there's so, there's activity going on. So, the deer certainly hear them. Probably a lot of times see them walking. Yeah. And then another thing, they smell them a lot. So, they're probably used to this
1: activity, but associate it with a non-threat. Right. It's so common in that deer work around. Like, there's trails around the tops of the chicken barns, and there's crossings across the driveway below chicken bar. Like, they talk really, about it, seeing deer when they're walking to and from their chicken yeah, houses. Yeah. How can we capitalize on that?
2: Instead of walking from the interior, which is where these chicken farms or chicken houses are, they're walking away and through sometimes a lot of really good looking areas to get away from it. Cause they don't want to hunt that close because they've
1: looked at it as a negative. Where in actuality, the deer are so used to it that it's not a threat And they can come in from basically the top side instead of looping around the entire bottom side or going way out of their way and come in from the opposite way. Basically, now, instead of having just one entrance from the west side hunting east winds, which aren't that common, let's back this up and concentrate deer in certain areas where we can come in from the east and hunt it on the west. And now you're hunting really about the same area, the same general area, From a different wind direction and now we're starting to double the tree stand possibilities just by increasing access and not looking at that disturbance that general disturbance on a daily basis as a negative that's a positive and because of if anyone's looked at um, a chicken barn before they're long and narrow and they run for a long ways so really within this property they create bottlenecks they create pinch points let's use that to our advantage
2: if it was me if i bought a new farm and i was going in the chicken business i'd use those long skinny things to bottleneck deer like crazy and And a lot of times they do it not knowing it and right now they they have because they ran one from the north from the south it runs north and south and it runs towards that bluff so there's a good i don't know 150 yards maybe in between the two maybe it's just 100 yards but just by a few blow down trees and then cutting trees in between the two. We've now bottlenecked the deer to a 60 yard gap
1: and, and they have to walk it. <laughs> and it's yeah. incredible. And that that's really the main thoroughfare on, on the northeast side of the farm that getting deer from the east side to the west side through a 60 yard gap. And they never even hunted it. Absolutely. I'll take that every single day of the week.
2: And they only, so currently they only have one stand around the chicken houses. And we have picked about six places, Easy. around the chicken houses, knowing
1: so. knowing okay we're we're gonna be stashing deer over here and putting deer over here. But now you can get here because prior to it, again, we didn't want to. They didn't want to go in the timber because they'd jump a deer. But now we don't have that threat. You know they're gonna be concentrated over here and concentrated over there, so we can easily get there. No questions asked. Great stand location from the interior of the farm based on the bottlenecks and, and concentrating deer in certain areas.
2: And another thing they were doing with their access was when they were leaving from the chicken house, that we talked about, they're going from the interior and a lot of times walking to the exterior, but there's a whole nother, well, two or three access points on the Western half of the farm that actually go through the pasture. So there's another big disturbance going on. There's cows, there's cow farmers, mm-hmm. they're moving cows, they're, they're checking they're fences. Cows. They're feeding hay. They're doing whatever cattle farmers do out in those pastures. So they're going to use that to their advantage and walk through those pastures to get to their stands on the western half of the farm and
1: on the northern half. Yeah, and those those disturbances are, are again are a daily thing. And those you know, if if you hunt around a cattle farm, you you know that um, typically you don't see cow and. Cows and deer in the same field at the same time. Play it by the numbers. You're going yep. to
2: see a few, but you're not going to see the, the whole majority herd out is,
1: there. Right, is not there. Or if they do, they're they're skirting an edge or cutting a corner. Um, but generally, they're not. You're not going to see them out there grazing among the herd of cattle. So, what does that do, though? How can we use that to our advantage, and and basically place the cattle at certain times of the year. In certain fields so again that disturbance from the cattle farmer is a daily thing deer are used to it but really the majority of them aren't going to be out there and we're going to use that to access these these great pinch points and great locations um, basically that bottleneck deer because the edge of the field or the the property features enhancements that we're going to do some of those cedar cuttings are really going to start concentrating deer in and around these pastures but basically because we're using the cattle to our advantage and either adding them to the field at certain times of the year or removing them from a field, now we can start getting places and accessing it with very minimal disturbance.
2: Yeah. Well, and one of the biggest factors on access was how can we get them to the river? Yes. And right now there's currently not really a road, a good road that goes to the river that's not already going through a food plot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the biggest factor is, they were thinking about trying to get to the river. They do have a few stands along, but they have to walk through one of their big food plots to get there. Automatically, that's a no-no. We need to do something. We don't want to be walking through a food plot in the morning to go hunt somewhere else. So, by design, there's a little their very northern border basically is already kind of a somewhat old roadbed um, along the fence that they're going to need to reopen. And now start using that to get to the river.
1: And that that now instead of having to row through the through the middle or the very edge of the food plot, you're now eighty to a hundred yards off the food plot, and there's thick cover in between the two. Now we're going to avoid with foot traffic, we're going to avoid that food plot, sneak in and around the deer, and be able to get to that river very cleanly, and access the river because there's a stand there, at that yep. at that portion but what's what's honestly the killer and the thing that changes this property it basically goes from a from a you can't six, seven to a ten immediately yeah. because of this is getting in a boat it goes from
2: you can't hunt the eastern side to now you can hunt the eastern side very effectively probably more effectively than any other place on the farm
1: there's very few places that you know, you can kind of get to that are so absolute dynamite based on the, the property or the, the, I guess, terrain and some of the property features. There's oftentimes where we tell people, and it's kind of a heartbreaker Listen, this is a great spot. This is awesome, but I don't know how you can get here cleanly. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you may have to abandon this stand, but like, oh, it's so good. And you're absolutely right. It's a great stand, but we're, we're going to have to pick our battles and say, Instead of hunting deer right here, you're doing too much damage. We're going to have to back you up and move you over here for basically just, just to access issues. And but, a lot of
2: times those are areas where the wind's never going to be constant. Yes. It's, oh, there's so much sign, this is a great spot, but I always get
1: smelled by a few deer. It's basically where a bunch of terrain features come together. That's That's typically where they're at. But on this farm, because of this creek, There's one place where so many different terrain features come together and it bottlenecks deer. And there's, because of some erosion issues, there's a huge ditch and a a guy can float this creek, park that boat in this little ditch, climb up the steep bank and walk, not even walk, really. He can climb climb up up a tree. Climb up the bank and then climb up the tree, basically. And it's right there on the edge because of this ditch that cuts into the property You're going to have deer eh, 25 yards, a huge crossing on this ditch. And everything else up to that you're looking at funnels deer. You've got ditches. You've got ridges. You've got a little bit of bottom ground, the edge of a food plot, that they've never been able to hunt this back edge. Now they will just by accessing it by boat. And you can get up. Honestly, I'm scared to know what they're going to see and, and how many deer they're going to see. And this is another area because... There's so many terrain features that it funnels a deer. You're not going to go in there September 15th, which is opening day. You're going to wait till you know that deer are on their feet and you have the best chance of getting in there and killing. And that's late October, early November. You're going to wait it out. You're going to say, I-, I know my chances are so much greater. Again, it's that probability game of killing deer when they're on their feet. During that time frame, I'm getting there. I'm setting up shop and I'm waiting. And the wind in that area...
2: yeah, uh, Way more consistent just because of the creek. You it's can hunt it on days without wind. You can hunt on days with three-mile-an-hour east wind because you know the creek is going to override those days to where it's basically going to be a northwest wind and go with the flow of the creek. Right. But your scent is automatically going to start falling on those cold days right into the creek and on downriver.
1: And this the footprint that you leave to access the stand is it's more like, like a thumbprint. <laughs> yeah. It's like zero. They're going to not even know you're there. You're you're going to be looking down at your kayak or your boat from your stand. You're going to have no idea that it's there. It's so incredible. And there's oftentimes we, we, we tell people, Hey, listen, we're going to make recommendations on, on stand locations as in, Hey, you're going to, there's going to be a pile of deer moving through this area. Here's a, here's a red dot on your map, be looking for a tree in this area. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, we don't say, this is the tree, you're going to kill one here, because things are subject to change. You know, they may they may hunt it a couple times, like, oh, I need to move 50, 40 yards. Okay, that's fine. But this is one of those locations, like, no, uh, right here, you that, can kill them. That maple's your tree. Yep. That cottonwood's your tree. It's going to happen. So.
2: That will be just by changing the access of this property will make it hunt a lot. They'll be a lot more successful on this farm. But then doing the habitat improvements and changing some of the management plans or the management uh, of the property will greatly improve the hunting um, on this place. And one of the biggest changes, I think we pretty well covered access. Yes. We know how big it is now. Um, When we look, when we said 20 to 30 acres of open ground, Right now, these big fields are fescue, orchard grass, clover. So they need to find a way, or they're trying to find a way to where it can be profitable or productive for their livestock, but hoping that they could find a way for it to be productive for their wildlife. So that's why they included clovers in this cool season grass mix.
1: But, and, and right now, you know, there there's food out there. Yeah. But is it as good as it can be? No. 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 What what percentage of clover is in there? 15% maybe? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Out I mean, of 30 acres? man, nah, we can do a lot better. So, about four years ago, it was alfalfa.
2: Guess what it's going to be? Alfalfa. <laughs> We're going to go back to alfalfa because it's going to be cut for hay. It's going to be a incredible producer for forage
1: for the livestock. A lot, a lot of a lot of tundra. Basically instead of two cuttings, possibly three on what it is now, you to nah, get four to five. I'd be shocked if they got three cuttings out of that. It
2: might get one or two. And but alfalfa, 3 to 4. Easy. Oh, easy cuz they got Without plenty, doubt. plenty of fertilizer there with those chicken houses. <laughs> yeah. Very so, productive. They're going to put it back in alfalfa, so now it's a great <laughs> attraction for wildlife as well as being a great producer
1: for the livestock so just by changing that they're going to have the ability to feed more wildlife way more way more deer and do it in a very precise manner because you know these guys are these guys are good farmers they know what they're doing Um, when it comes to planting when it comes to getting the most out of their ground they're going to have very successful stands of alfalfa Um, and again like adam said it's going to be extremely productive and I didn't see any alfalfa anywhere as we're driving out from the farm, as we're getting there no. in and around this area. So automatically you're going to have an extreme beyond just the advances of habitat management that we've already discussed and outlined just the addition of those two productive food resources in the area is going to pull deer to the property. Yeah. Beyond we went what, from about five acres
2: of, attractiveness to the deer five acres of the of open ground of being some sort of forage for the deer to now being over
1: 20 oh yeah well over change and what we what the other thing that we that we did was not give up anything no just just because they have open ground we are not making them clear anything else they're situated great but we're still achieving the goal of providing forage for the livestock Yep. We're not. We're not. They're not losing anything in this. They're it's a gaining. Win, so it's a win-win. Absolutely, the cattle
2: win and the wildlife win. How many times when we go to a property or or just talking to various landowners or hunters across the country, when we start seeing food plots get over browsed, they're not. They plant soybeans and they're not ever making it to where they're producing pods. The first instinct is, we got to doze more ground. We got to make more food plots. But some that gets really expensive. We covered that a couple podcasts mm-hmm. ago, or we see it where they have these food plots that aren't really being that productive. They're getting over but they're still not even. They're not great at weed control. They're not planting the appropriate seeds uh, per acre. It's just not very productive. One of the biggest things is just getting it to where it's
1: at maximum production. Yeah, if you've got five acres, make it the best five acres you can. Instead of going out and and spending more money to doze more land or 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 the or, <laughs> or only get eighty percent of the production that you could out of you know additional two acres, improve those five so much that I don't need to spend the money on increasing the the acreage i have basically. or
2: you have a few areas that are open but they're kind of uh, they've got some briars and they've got some other things for example this property had a couple of areas that were sunlight was definitely reaching the forest floor it was open um it was kind of old field but it was still covered in fescue
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: all they have to do is spray the fescue and get that killed out and let some sort of native forb grow back maybe it's ragweed it's still pri- providing tons of forage for the wildlife. So sometimes that's also another way you can add food without having to hire an excavator or a dozer to come doze out acres and acres to create more food plots.
1: Mm-hmm. Sometimes the, the answer is not the most cost. I guess the most, you don't have to spend the most money to, to, get, the, to get the best result. That that is desirable. A lot of times, the answer isn't more money, um, and
2: and I think that's one thing that we really fall into as as a. I mean, how many social media pages are there devoted to this topic of hunting habitat improvement? And a lot of times, we want to just throw more money at it. Mhm. Mhm. But just by understanding the ways you can improve it um, on a on a lower budget is sometimes the better option
1: for sure it is for sure it is because and then then you you might be able to put resources elsewhere on the property that that need it more than just the the food plots because these guys are they're gonna need some um feed i mean some excuse me some um money for seed to plant alfalfa so instead of improving putting all their funds allocating that for just food plots Let's give let's let's say okay just just increase the efficiency. Let's talk about you know the practices that you're using, increase that, and then put your money actually into alfalfa where you're going to have more production and and kill two birds with one stone.
2: Yep. Yep. I. Uh... We kind of talked about it. You touched on it, but then we jumped back into access. But there's a couple cedar thickets. Oh, you didn't think we'd make it through a podcast without bashing cedar thickets.
1: You're in Missouri. They're going to be there. Uh,
2: And so when we, and once again, we don't hate cedars. We just don't like cedar thickets, cedar monocultures. I'm reading a book right now. Um, You've heard me talk about. I think, the last podcast about uh, an explorer in the 1800s in Missouri. And I find it very interesting. He's only said the word cedar three times, I believe. And every time that's associated with a bluff. Oh, uh, a rock outcropping or something. Or rock outcropping, basically where fire can't be carried. Everywhere else, he talks about all the different trees and the species of trees. But he never mentioned cedar unless he's talking about those bluffs. So, that um, to me, that's just a dead giveaway that cedars aren't natural they're not in their natural landscape to be in productive ground yeah it should be something else basically where fire could be carried but we've let it get out of control over the years and uh there's a couple prime areas
1: that are that are need to be cut on this uh, property yes and they can be just by cutting them is going to be a fantastic bedding area oh by far yeah and, and honestly it probably could be the best on the property Um, based on the location and now because of the access instead of driving all the way around it and hunting the back end of it to get on the the west side of the property they can hunt it on the east and change their access and come in from a different way on the west and hunt it basically on two different winds and not only increase the 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 bedding area itself by cutting the sears improve those acres more beneficial more food and better hunting an increased number of states. We're looking at
2: the acres of cedar is actually probably more than total acres of food plots right now. There's mm-hmm. there's probably more acres devoted to cedar thickets. When we say cedar th- cedar thicket it was one time a glade or field and now it has turned into where it's 95% mature cedars. Yeah. Yep. So, just by cutting those cedars, letting sunlight hit the forest floor and letting the f- nature run its course basically we're going to get more grasses and more forbs and by doing that we're going to
1: have better bedding areas and i think real quickly you said something there's let nature run its course and someone may say well sounds like it did the cedars are there once again that's not nature in this area natural history tells us that fire was present and fire is natural. We've removed that from this area. Therefore, cedars just growing here is not natural.
2: Half It was half a nature running its course. You yeah. removed half of it.
1: Exactly. And that's the half that manages things and sets things back and basically keeps things in the state, the natural history, that this ground should be in. So basically, we're just getting back to that native state or trying our best to improve it and get fire back in this ecosystem
2: yep yeah pretty well that that pulls us right into an hour yep and i think we've covered in a nutshell this property multi-use property once again it's got cattle and chicken barns so changing the access will be one of the biggest things we can do to improve the hunting success on this property instead of Going through core areas to hunt the edges, we're going to hunt near the chicken houses and then go around and use other access points to hunt the edges um, of the key places on this property. Now, by changing the timber layout from complete, pretty much, I don't know, hundreds of acres of the same type of timber, we're going to break it up and do Fragment. almost... Fragment fragment it and create edge and we're going to improve the bedding areas by doing that and uh, that's going to greatly improve the travel corridors on the property to where they can hunt it more effectively then we're going to improve the food plots Um, we're going to plant different species multiple species to where there's always something to eat and it'll take the pressure off of a straight monoculture food plot which they had planted in the past then we're going to increase the amount of forage production for the wildlife by converting the fescue hay fields to alfalfa. Um, that's going to provide more forage for the wildlife as well as the cattle.
1: You know, we talked about real briefly on our, our ride home last night. Um, we went from this property to another one in Illinois and then back home. So we had a busy weekend, but we talked about, you know, which property has been your favorite to be on? And we kind of did the well current state or when it's all said and done and there's a couple places on this farm that we we, we joked with the with the landowner and was like hey you know we'll no, come back in the in the you november gotta
2: tell, you got to tell the first part of that story he asked if there's ever a time where we we should come and hunt so we could actually observe what's going on during hunting season and we're like not really i mean I don't, we don't, I, there's not really a place, that, there's a couple properties that I think, boy, it'd be really cool to be here in November. But I really just enjoy hunting my own farms mm-hmm. and my own places. Um, and, but I like, I don't really want to have somebody else work hard to improve it and then I go and reap their rewards. Yeah. It's yeah. just not me. I, I much rather get that text or phone call saying they killed a good one on the property that we laid out. Mm-hmm. But anyway.
1: But he, he asked, you know, do you guys, would you guys do that? You know, would you consider ever doing that? Is it necessary for you to see it and then can kind of observe and make better recommendations? And and no, you know that's not necessary. But then we got down to the eastern half of the property where you can float in with the boat and and to a creek and park it and climb the stand and kill a giant. And then we kind of changed our mind. Said, well, you know, remember when you brought that up last time? This might be that location that we come in. We'll be here basically next November first and hunt for a couple of days, and and we'll be right here in this stand because, based on everything that's going to be laid out, I I'm very very excited for I'm those texts to come November and say confident killed him and guess where I killed him? Oh, I yes. know where you killed him. You don't have to tell me. You killed yeah. him here. Yeah, it's it's going to be awesome. So this is going this this property has extreme potential. Um, for for killing and achieving their goals and that's awesome and holding People help them get there just by changing a few things you know it's not it's not complete property overhaul we're not we're not asking them to do um or pour tons and tons of money into a, a bunch of stuff you know these these little changes are going to really impact the property for a huge huge benefit and a long-term benefit too
2: yeah absolutely i think uh just by <laughs> just by making these few changes and these few changes that don't even cost anything. The change in access is gonna cost zero dollars.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, minus maybe a John boat. Maybe a John or troll, Boat. Troll but they already motor. have a kayak. So yeah. um they it, can it make two.
2: Yes. It, and that's why I lo- that's why we love what we do. Um it's always it's never okay, this is A B C you need to do this, okay, you're gonna have it a lot better. It's always each property's different, each property's. There ain't no um, cookie unique. cutter to this stuff. No. And so uh anyway, um that pretty well wraps up this week's episode, Matt. You got any more thoughts? I'm almost scared to ask.
1: <laughs> no, I don't have any more thoughts. Um but just back to I guess brother situation real quick. I hope that was helpful for someone. I hope it gives someone um you know, the, the thought process to, to help someone else out in need and just get them outside, get them outdoors. That's it. No preaching this this Sunday. I'm awesome. Done. Good deal. All right, we'll catch you guys next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there. And we're answering on the podcast or find us on Facebook and Instagram.
2: Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God?